let's let's rip in some ten questions, Pete. Let's get in. Let's get into these. Sure, um, let's do it. So, number one, the, again, it's always the worst question for any fan of any artist. What's your favorite Tom Petty album? If you had to only pick one, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. By a by a country mile, Kev. <laughs> I, I I hate to, you know, there's there's lots of tens of ten tens out of tens. I think in his catalog, at least a yeah. few. But uh, but yeah, Wildflowers by 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 a by a large stretch for me. Um, I think that just the way that he committed to that sound there is such a a big sea change between the jeff lynn production and and that side of his career and then what he let rick rubin do to his yeah. you know I, I, it has to be rick's vision right there's no way that uh that he's putting out a song like it's good to be king if rick rubin isn't steering him in a direction that he hadn't been steered before and him just completely committing to it. And I think that whole album is just, that's what it's about for me is just this commitment to this vision where everybody's on the same page and it took forever, right? It, he yeah. it took like 18 months to record that thing. Um, but, uh, but they had a, they had a vision and, and, and we listened to some of the, some of the outtakes that didn't make the album and it's all, it's all just wrapped up and, and you know, man, <laughs> Don't even get me started on, on what the what that double album would have sounded like. That the single album was incredible enough, but that it's not like they were cutting, cutting, um, cutting off those those albums where you know Carl Wilson is singing uh, singing backup because it just <laughs> wasn't good enough. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> I mean, so, somewhere under heaven doesn't make the album. Leave Virginia, something could happen doesn't make the album. California doesn't make the album. It's Again, these are songs that end up on a lot of artists' greatest hits. It's just right. crazy that the, the the fertile period that he hit in that during that run there. I mean, mm -hmm. it was just pouring out of him. And I know that's not it's a simplistic way of looking at it because he still worked very very hard on those things. And he, of course, had Mike helping him in. And and like you said, I think that that's where I had that conversation with um, previous guest that I just talked to fairly recently, uh, Jeff Slate, about mm -hmm. Jeff Lynne can't produce Wildflowers. As, as brilliant as Jeff Lynne is, if Jeff Lynne is the guy with Tom yeah. during that period, I don't think Wildflowers happens. Yeah. I just well, don't think it's there, right? And think about it too. He had, you know, you talk about the trio of uh, uh, trio of albums he did with uh, with uh, Jimmy Iovine. He did four albums with Jeff Lynne in a row because he did two Wilburys albums. <laughs> yeah. And then he did Full Moon Fever and then In the Great Wide Open. Yeah. You know, he had, he had ridden that horse for a while. And so it was time for a change. And yeah. you're absolutely right. There's no way that, uh, you know, I, 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 we don't, we don't have to to get into it. But you know, I'm not the biggest fan of of Jeff Lynne's production, uh, <laughs> as you as you well know, famously. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I remember um, when he was doing the Beatles stuff in '95 on Anthology, and Free as a Bird came out. And one one of my one of my least favorite moments where I just sort of felt like I ate my hat was. Uh, um, and just made an ass of myself in front of a girlfriend that I was dating at the time. And, you know, she knew I was this giant, gigantic Beatles fan. It's like, oh, we're getting new Beatles stuff for the first time in, in 25 years. And I heard Free as a Bird. Um, and after the song's over, I was just like, oh, man. And my girlfriend was like, oh, that's so sweet. I was like, no, Jeff Lynn ruined that song. <laughs> she was like, oh, you're an ass, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> but that's uh, that's kind of how I felt about it. You know, you, you get yeah. a little heavy handed. And, and it's not to say that Rick Rubin wasn't heavy handed either. Like, again, good to be king. This, you know, this this, this symphonic uh fade out of, of 90 seconds or however long it goes. And, yeah. you know, just, there's a, there's a lot of production there, but it's, it's heavy handed and delicate at the same time, which is like, I don't get it. I don't know how you do that, but he <laughs> pulled it off and the band pulled it off. And uh, yeah, there's no way Jeff Lynn's making, making that record. And, uh, and I think yeah. uh, definitely uh, the right, the right move, the right call. Wait, I mean, you look at, guys that again you jeff lynn you rick rubens those kinds of guys at that level it almost it almost doesn't matter sometimes what the album is it, it they just have to be the right fit sometimes and it's that, that right timing but they're so good mm-hmm. that they can be heavy-handed and delicate at the same time because they're just there's it's like mike campbell on guitar mike can play anything because he's got complete mastery of that instrument yeah. they've got mastery of the studios and instrument they just know if the artist says this is what i'm looking for this is what we're going with and they'll have that conversation you know famously tom and rick sat then well what do you want this to be is it a heartbreakers record is it a tom petty solo record mm-hmm. what it what is this and once you've got that sense of it ruben just knows then instinctively okay i understand what this is i know what it needs to sound like i'll work with tom obviously and mike campbell to to make sure the production on the, on the right lines but he just knows right and if he's got the right engineer and you can get the sound properly mm-hmm. from there it's it's it, it feels like magic to us from the outside. Yeah. But that's someone who's just playing his instrument. He's just doing it very, very well. And and what a huge leap of faith that was to, to go down that road yeah. with a producer <laughs> who wasn't known for producing rock music either. Nope. Right. At least not this style of rock music. He was doing, I, you know, I can't remember what, what death metal stuff he was doing, but it was, you know, more in the, in the vein of Slayer and hip hop yeah. um, rap music, uh, you know, coming, coming from a uh, from New York university's, uh, uh, best sound studio of uh, the dorm room and <laughs> uh, the third floor of New York University yeah. or whatever. Um, to, to go from that to to Wildflowers, like it yeah. wasn't like he was some some crackerjack producer that they brought in to like, you know, tame the, tame the wild Tom Petty and the Heartbreaker sound. It was some guy who had never done that before. And, and uh, yeah. man, what a what an incredible uh, lightning in a bottle moment that was. Absolutely. Just a stroke. And again, the right combination at the right time and that's where i mm-hmm. i've always thought about petty too is he was one of those people who just knew when to look out for that apart from boys of summer that was the one kind of blip where he missed he missed right. the, he missed the zeitgeist or he missed the opportunity he just recognized yeah. this is who i need to be listening to right now and again like you said i mean his, his time with jeff Lynn was kind of oh, well jeff's brought me as far as i need him to i'll take mm-hmm. everything i like about that and i'll leave the stuff that i don't and i'll move forward and i'll incorporate it in the future and the mm-hmm. same thing with ruben they just you know two and a half sort of two and a half albums, three albums with Jeff or with Rick Rubin and mm-hmm. just moved on from there, but always learning, always looking for that next person who can help him grow as a songwriter. And again, that's what I admire most about him is that willingness. He's, he's never done. He was never the final product. He was yeah. always in the process of getting better and better and better and better. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mud Crutch. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one too. Mud Crutch or Traveling Wilburys. I'll eat, well, I'll eat my I... hat if it's the... <laughs> well, I sort of already gave the answer away there by saying I've I've never uh, had a chance to di- dive into the mud crutch stuff. So the Wilburys for sure. I mean, you know, again, all part of that same stew that I was cooking in for those five years of uh, late late eighties, early nineties, and and I think along those lines, you know, the the first album is is pretty iconic, but um, I think that Volume Three doesn't get enough love. Oh man, I love that record. Yeah, I love it just as much as the first one. I really, really, I mean, apart from you know, Roy's not there, but the yeah. songs. I mean, the songs are phenomenal. It's cool, dry places on that album. Come on. Oh, 
I mean, yeah, that's again, just so iconic. So it's so petty, so beautiful. Uh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Curl dry, cool dry play. She's my baby. Um, Wilbury twist. I mean, it's, yeah. um, seven, even like seven deadly sins. It's a, you know, kind of a, kind of a goofy knockoff, maybe a, not, not knockoff, but maybe a bit of a throwaway, but even the throwaways on that album, I think are really, are really, are really solid stuff too. And it's a, it's a fun listen, man. So yeah, I definitely the Wilburys for me. Yeah. I mean, it's one of my favorite, I mean, I know I'm guessing then you're one of the issues, but the thing that you don't love about Bob is his voice, which a lot of people don't love Bob Dylan's voice, but when he comes yeah. in on, she's my baby. She's coming up the sidewalk. She's coming through the door. Like only Dylan could have sung that line. Yeah. Even Penny no. doing Dylan wouldn't have sung that line as well as Dylan did, you know? For sure. Yeah. No, that's that's right. I mean, you know, and it's it's funny, like I'm a, I'm a huge Neil Young fan. And Neil Young isn't exactly known for being a, a crooner either, yeah. or you know, a smooth, smooth, dulcet sounds of, of Neil Young on uh, on Rust Never Sleeps. But but there's I don't know what it is. Something about Dylan has just never never stuck with yeah. me as a as something that I wanted to sit down and enjoy and listen. But uh but it's, yeah, in 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 small doses and as part of the Wilburys, you know, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with uh, with with hearing a little a little Dylan. And so you kind of like him as a seasoning, just not as a main dish, right? That's <laughs> a little pinch of Dylan goes a, a long way. It's funny though, you brought that up though. When you think about it on paper, Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, Jeff Lynne, Roy Orbison, and George Harrison vocally should not work. That's not five voices that you would think, oh, we should put those five guys together. They'll sound great together. It's not like right. the Eagles. I mean, you, well, no, that's how is that going to work? And yet, yep. it's almost like, well, that it, no one sounds better in some places. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. that's a good point. Too. That's a good point. Well, you, I'm just, you, you raised it. Like, you, you made me think of that. So, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so if you could join the Heartbreakers on stage for one song, what would it be? And what instrument would you play and or sing? You know, I I thought this was going to be a hard one. Some of these some of these questions are, are pretty difficult. And when I saw this one, I was like, ah, how am I going to answer this? Um, but when I found it, it was real easy, and it would be running down a dream. Okay. And I think that what I love about that song, I would I would definitely be be one of the one of the one of the guitars on that on that song. It is so simple that I couldn't possibly mess it up. <laughs> and I don't mean that as a as a as a to denigrate the song, right? I mean, you know, rock and roll's made of three chords in the truth, and you just kind of gotta work around that and turn it into something its own. And and they do that so well on that song. It's just a simple chord progression, a simple riff. I think I could probably handle playing that riff um while while Mike is is soloing. I might even be able to slide in for four to eight bars on that solo. It's just a, it's just a, a blues, blues riff in, 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 well, the blues riff in, in a major. Right. And yeah. uh, it's a very simple um, now I couldn't do it for the two minute fade out and uh, which is what he's <laughs> able to do. And that's what makes him so special is that he can, he can do that and, and, and make you follow along. And I can, I just imagine, can you just imagine being up on stage during that two minute solo and just like him hitting high high parts to that solo and then taking it up another level and then thinking that you're in in like in in music nirvana and then suddenly it goes somewhere else and just blows your mind out uh, totally to to smithereens yeah that song if I, if i could be a part of that somehow on stage um that would be the one for me that's one thing i've noticed when i watch the heartbreakers live too is tom and ben mont 
both really enjoy watching Mike Campbell. And Tom and Mike yes. both really enjoy yeah. watching Ben Mont when he's solo. Because at that point, you know, there's a lot yeah. of communication, non-verbal communication goes on on stage within a band. But when you're soloing and you know you're going to be soloing for 16 bars, Tom doesn't need to be watching Mike because he's not looking for any cues. He's just watching his friend rock out. Mm-hmm. And I love that they still, you know, even on the 40th anniversary show where you can still see that. I love that. I think that's yeah. so cool because it means that they re- the band was more important than, you know, all the trappings of it to Tom and, and, and all of them, you know? That's a good point. A lot of times, like, you know, I... I I don't know that Van Halen did this, but I imagine Van Halen did this where like Eddie Van Halen solos and, and, uh, and, and Mike, you know, Anthony goes off stage and grabs a, grabs a beer or, or, you know, you know, I I can just imagine these, these bands and you've seen these bands where everybody disappears and it's just the the one guy out there doing his thing for, for two minutes or whatever, um, restroom break, whatever's going on. And you're right that the, the heartbreakers never did that. They, they appreciated each other's musicianship and they just liked watching their friends jam. Yeah. And that was very cool. Yeah, totally agree. That's a good That's a good call. It always makes me connect with it. Okay, question four. Who would be your dream opening act at a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers concert? Who opened for them when you saw them, as an aside? It's funny. Um, I didn't remember, and I actually looked this up, and it was somebody that I don't know. I believe his name was Chris Whitley. Okay. Um, and I don't know. I don't remember the opening act. I can't say that. Yeah, I don't know if I got there late or what okay. it was, it was 30 some years ago. Um, so yeah, I just don't, I don't, uh, I don't have a whole lot of memory there, but, um, but as far as uh dream opening act for Petty, I'd have to say the Foo Fighters. And, nice. uh, and I think, you know, I know you're a Foo fan. I um, I have never had a chance to see them. I was supposed to see them at jazz fest here in New Orleans last year. And unfortunately Taylor Hawkins, um passed away like six weeks before the show something like that and so i was really excited to finally get to see these legends um but i i think that uh so you know in addition to just wanting to see the band i think there's so much energy and commitment to the music from both bands right that's one thing that dave Grohl i know always respected tom petty there's just a lot of admiration there for petty's um really um really commitment to the, to the music and, and, uh, and the principles that he stood for and all that stuff. I imagine if, if the Foo Fighters opened for Petty, there might be some, some cross pollination. Uh, you know, you can just imagine, um, Dave getting up on stage and bashing out Honey Bee again, yeah. um, uh, during the, during the Heartbreaker set, maybe even taking lead vocals or lead guitar, dueling lead guitars on American Girl with, uh, with, uh, with Mike, you know, so I think there would be some really cool synergy going yeah. on between those two, as well as just the history that they had of uh, of uh, actually being in the same band together for uh, for one magic night in 1994. Really interesting, because, yeah, I mean, Dave coming on to Honeybee, would, that's a no-brainer. That, that would be super cool. And almost certainly that would have happened, right? Because Dave right. likes playing with people and Tom would have been all over that. But be yeah. interesting to think about what song Petty would have gone and played and sat in with Foo Fighters. I'll have to, I'm going to have to have a little bit of a think about that, you know? Because that'd be an yeah. interesting one to think about too. It could be whether they do something off, um, you know, the second record on uh, In Your Honor, the more acoustic-y stuff, whether we do something like that, or whether he'd just come out and shred, you know, come out, let Tom Petty do even pretender. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, who knows? Uh, but I think there, yeah, a lot of, lot of possibilities there. Uh, go, like you say, going both ways. I thought about it more in terms of, uh, of what Dave would do uh, for the Heartbreakers, but you're right. What would Maybe it would go both ways. Very cool. One, okay, so here's a story I don't think I've told in the pod before. The first time I ever heard Breakdown 
believe it or not, was at a Foo Fighters gig because they covered it in, I'm pretty really? sure it was the second time I saw them, which was on the Wasting Light tour. And I hadn't gone full deep dive into Petty yet. And they did break. I'm like, holy shit, this is a good song. Is this a new, is this like a new album track or mm. something? Or, yeah. So I look it up on FM or, or I was talking to someone or other, and it's like, that's Tom Petty? Oh, mm. I, what, what album's this off? That's off the debut. It's off the it's debut. Like, oh wow. Okay. Well, I've got to go back and listen to that then. And that, you know what? That might well have been. That might well have been the turning point with me going back and really huh. digging into those first few albums. Now that I'm thinking about that. So, yeah. Look at that. Day, bro. <laughs> I, that's nice. I, I'm 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 impressed that I'm able to get new stories from you. I have a feeling that uh, half the stories I tell you, like, yeah, we've we've trod this ground uh, several times with the guest hosts that we've had here. So, uh, so yeah, getting some getting some new content out of uh, out of Kevin Brown. This is fantastic. <laughs> it's not very often. It's also my memory. You know, I don't know if I've talked about that before. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, Kev, that was uh, three three uh, three episodes ago. But uh, yeah, sure. Think what you want. Whatever. Kev, you talk about this every time you talk to a guest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, favorite band member. Favorite uh, favorite band member. Ooh, you said it. You actually said it. You you you, you un, unwittingly fell into uh, saying Benmont wow. um, without even realizing it. Um, I mean, you know, just like everybody that answers this question, it's like psh, they're all my favorite heartbreaker. Yeah. Um, everybody has their has their charms for sure. I I think there's always been something, and I'll go back to the early days of uh the video era for whatever reason i just remember that he, he had kind of a he had kind of that afro going um yeah. early in early in the heartbreakers career and there was just something automatically i don't know mesmerizing cool about him he's always had that cool demeanor like not not above it but certainly like uh somebody that that knows they're there for the, for the, for all the right reasons and wants yeah. to, wants to make it, make it apparent that they, they belong on stage. He just always kind of exudes that cool self-confidence. And, and, uh, and I just, there's always been something really special about the accents that he, that he gives to the band, never looking to fight for center stage. Um, but you know, the, 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 the organs, uh, right from the beginning, stop dragging my heart around, break down refugee. Yeah. Um, all those sounds were just so, important to the band i felt even though they weren't necessarily highlighted but they were just so kind of crucial to forming that heartbreaker sound and i don't think he gets i don't know if i'd say he doesn't get enough credit um i think people that know the heartbreakers recognize how incredibly important he is to the to the stew yeah. um but uh yeah I, i'd have to say Benmont. just uh just love the way he does his thing well it's, it's, it's almost like he's that guy who he knows he's the best musician in the room everyone else knows he's the, in the best musician in the room he would never say it and he doesn't need anyone else to tell him that. You know what I mean? He's got that sort of, he's, yeah. he's you know, everyone talks about the, the whole Dylan tour about everyone just watch Ben Mon because Ben Mon knew the catalog and he would, well, we're in F. Well, these are the changes. Watch me and I'm going to go E minor. Yeah. So and, and yeah, that kind right. of, that encyclopedic knowledge of music and the ability to, put, to play all of it in pretty much any style you want does put a, sort of put him on a bit of a, a shelf. But I've mm -hmm. said before, like him and Mike are the two those are the two ingredients you cannot lose from the Heartbreakers, right? Because they have mm -hmm. had a couple of different bass players, they've had a couple of different drummers, and that mm -hmm. changes the dynamic for sure. But those three together, that's yeah. the sound of the Heartbreakers, and all of them are crucial to it. And, you know, I remember when I was working on the radio, there was somebody that had a a, a radio program on the weekend where it would he was kind of doing a, like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of a deal where he would, he would, he would, 
he would take an hour's worth of music and he would have some through going lines and he would say, okay, I've got Jefferson airplane. Uh, Jefferson airplane had, uh, had, uh, whoever the bass player was, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but the bass player was also the bass player for hot tuna and hot tuna played with <laughs> the grateful dead. And so you would, you would hear these songs, you'd hear Jefferson airplane, you'd hear hot tuna, you'd hear the grateful dead. And then the grateful dead get Jerry Garcia guested on, you know, whatever this album was. And I, I remember, um, he did a, he did an episode entirely, focused around Benmont. And it was like, here's all the stuff that Benmont Tentious played on. And it was yeah. just like, it was this like mind blowing experience where you're like, wait, this guy, he's, he's just the keyboard player for the heartbreakers. What are you, yeah. what are you talking about? He played on, you know, these Dylan albums or he played on uh, whatever Dave Matthews, who, who knows what, he, what, what albums were, were he was guesting on, but it, he was guesting on all of them essentially, right? The eighties, he was just ubiquitous and he continues to to be ubiquitous it's just uh it's just an amazing testament to his his versatility and his his ability to just add whatever's necessary to the to the mix at that given time well and i didn't realize until so my friend Corey was on a, another part it was a guest on a different podcast covering john bon jovi's blaze of glory album mm. guess who's the organ player and piano player on that record Ben Montench, like it's just like That's what funny. the hell, like you know, he just turns up, and it's the same with Mike Campbell, and same with Tom. Even sometimes we're like, hang on a minute, Tom Pay's got a co-writing credit on this sort of obscure. Weird. It's like what? Okay, I've got to go and dig into this. Oh yeah, look, Mike's the guitar player. How he's the bass player? <laughs> so it's the the Heartbreakers right. were a backing or a session band as well, and yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, yeah. I just, I just I, they're what they're underrated for. I think more than anything else is is being a band. And even after the Fillmore document that we got, that the box set showcases really how good they were. If you're not a musician, I just don't think you care about that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if you're not a musician, but if you are a musician, you look at that and you think, yeah, well, that's a big yardstick to live up to. Sure enough. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of live concerts, if you could go to see any Tom Petty concert, do you like that link there, Pete? How seamlessly I transitioned Man, there? You are a, you're a master of your craft, Kevin. And then screwed it up by stopping. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could go to see any Tom Petty concert from history, which you weren't at, uh, which one would it be? I would say, and there's a reason for this, as we all have, uh, I would say Houston 1999. And that was the one for me that got away. So I, I you know, mentioned that I've only seen them once. Well, I was living in Houston during a, a, a brief stop there in my, in my tour of growing up. And, uh, you know, for me, Number one, that's kind of the end of what I kind of consider their golden period uh, in terms of like, you know, you could say the last DJ was sort of was so, sort of maybe a, a, an end of that period before they kind of took a hiatus as a band for for new material. But, um, you know, Echo, I think still for me, has always resonated. It's always been one of my favorites of this. I, I feel like yeah. I've said that seven or eight of them have been one of my favorites now. But, <laughs> but Echo is, has always held a special place in my heart. And they were in Houston. When I was living there in 1989, that was a time when I was still kind of um, ticking off my bingo card for bands that I'd seen because yeah. I didn't quite have the cash available to just go see Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers every time I had the opportunity. So it's like, well, I've already seen Tom and the Heartbreakers. Yeah, I could see them again, but you know, I haven't seen Pearl Jam yet. I, maybe I'll go see Pearl Jam instead yeah. when they come around or whatever. And so I didn't go to that concert and i feel like i lost the chance to see howie one last time i lost the chance to see them play 
at the end of again what I would consider an amazing run of of music. Um, he was still in such great voice at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, they were still you, you sort of look back and say, oh, well, you know, at the time they were 50 years old and, you know, maybe they just didn't have the the, the, the same kind of energy. Well, looking back, you recognize that was bullshit. They had plenty of energy um, and still were playing amazing music uh, live at the Fillmore it is testament to that just two years prior. Right. So, yeah. so I feel like for me, that was the the one concert that that got away and it was you know i don't think there's anything special about that houston concert in 1999 except for the fact i happened to be in town and have the opportunity to get tickets and i just couldn't afford the 37 bucks or whatever it would have cost me yeah. to do it and what a what a missed opportunity we all have those though right i mean i remember years and years and years ago now sting and Lennox came through saskatoon and i looked and it was yeah like 80 90 dollars and then i was like oh, man, that's expensive I mean, literally two of my favorite vocalists. Annie Lennox is my favorite female vocalist of all time. Mm -hmm. And I missed the chance to go and see them both. And they did a bunch of songs together. It's, that's the one that, that's my one that got away. That's the one that I missed. I mean, obviously I didn't, I just didn't get into Tom early enough to, to, for him to be on my concert radar, but. Right. Oh, well. Right. Okay. Walls Circus or Walls number three, which is your favorite version? I'd have to go with Walls Circus. Um, I love them both. Uh, I think that uh, the the more kind of direct version has got a got a sweetness to it that I really that really draws me. But but I like that Wall Circus has it almost feels you know. And I went back obviously when you when you posed this question, went back and listened and kind of did a quick little uh, realization that it almost feels like a mid period Beatles song. There's there's these psychedelic elements to it. With yeah. the uh, with the keyboards coming in and out, and you know, at one point, I think the keyboards even kind of kind of f fall off, almost like uh, you know, accidents being being played, almost like you're listening to Blue Jay Way from uh, Magical Mystery Tour <laughs> by the by the Beatles. And so there's this keyboard swells, the psych, and sort of this mild mildly psychedelic elements to it. And then of course the the harmonies. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a I wouldn't I wouldn't call myself I'm a big Lindsey Buckingham fan, but yeah. you know Lindsey Buckingham adds adds a lot to that, and and just the 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 clattering guitars, the shimmering guitars in there, um, some stabs of strings go, going in and out. It's it's a it's a production masterpiece. I, I love that song. I think it's uh, I think it's great. So I'm I'm gonna go Wall Circus, and I will say, um, speaking of Lindsey, um, also gives me the opportunity to say that I saw him play a solo show in Houston in 2009 maybe okay and uh it was at this little place that doesn't exist anymore it's called fitzgerald's but it's a parking lot now a little paved paradise situation um but i saw some of the best concerts there and i saw lindsey buckingham and i went by myself and i got there early enough that i was able to get right up next to the stage this place held maybe 600 people 700 people and mm -hmm. wow and I got to I got to be 15 feet from Lindsey Buckingham and just watch him work. And you know, I was there by myself, which sometimes you you'll recognize, right? It's it's good to go with friends, but sometimes it's also really cool to just be there in the moment yeah. by yourself. And just and not I, have to worry about saying, Hey, that was really cool. I can just watch to mm -hmm. a like a stalker like level of focus, just watch what and tell you, man, like I saw him live with Fleetwood Mac a few years mm -hmm. ago now. Another guy who's frighteningly good on guitar. I, I didn't oh, realize God. how good a guitarist that guy is, you know? So I think he probably played, I I agree. And I think he probably played Big Love. Do you know that song? Yeah. Big Love by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, yeah. So it's a, it's a tour de force on the guitar. 
and I, I think I've seen live versions of it, even when he was with Fleetwood Mac, where he basically plays it almost solo. And he just has this, this acoustic guitar and he's finger picking. He's, he's got, I, I think he, he, he must have at least 16 fingers on his right hand as he's finger <laughs> picking the song. And he just, he sings the song and in, in the, in the solo show, he literally just had a, um, like a, like a backing track. And he, you know, so there wasn't a whole lot of improvisation because there's not, you're not able to improvise if you know that the song is going to be exactly yeah. three minutes and 17 seconds long or whatever, as he, as he clicks the backing track but it made it that much more kind of just like him in the moment being able to do what he was doing by himself, which again, allows you to focus just on him. But he, but big love, he's just there like, and he just going crazy. And then he sings it. And at the end, he just gets into this like incredible shrieks and, and, and it goes on where in the song, you know, ho, ho, ha, Oh, yeah. ha. And he's doing that, but he's building and he's building, he's getting louder, he's getting louder. And the crowd is just sitting there like, what kind <laughs> of like Svengali trance does he have? I said, everybody is just there. And then he ends, and he hits the chord and he just sort of falls limp. And the crowd just goes up like, like, I don't know, like we just got word that we yeah. won the war. Just <laughs> And it was the most incredible moment, one of the most incredible live experiences of my life. And there again, yeah. I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time, 20 feet from him while this was happening. And so for me, um, Wall Circus, for all sorts of reasons, yeah. but one reason being that Lindsey Buckingham um, is also a part of that song, and he's a pretty cool dude. <laughs> That's a pretty damn good reason, man. Yeah. Um, okay, next question. If you could pick any, and this is you've heard me say this before on episodes, this is my favorite question. This has become my favorite question because it always throws up really, really interesting oh. combinations. So yeah. if you could pick any artist to cover any Tom Petty song, which artist and which song? This is a black hole question, if I ever heard one. <laughs> I mean, this this could take days of research and you still wouldn't come <laughs> to the proper solution. <laughs> it's like trying to find the theory of relativity using uh, you know the back of a matchbook or something. <laughs> it it um, I, I enjoyed this one. I what I came to, and let's see if uh, let's see if you appreciate this. I would say the Black Crows. And I would go with change of heart. Yes. And I say I'm that. 100% in. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's, there's a swagger to that song that I think would fit perfectly on Southern Harmony and, and uh, yeah. musical companion and Southern. I always forget the, the <laughs> Southern Harmony and musical uh, association of uh, Cross fans free, Freemasons or something. We just call it the second album. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Southern Harmony and musical companion, I think is, is what it's called. Um, but uh, you know, just imagine remedy them sort of swagger into remedy and, yeah. and uh, the Robinson brothers just, just kicking into down, 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 down. I think it would be sweet, man. And um, and I think I, I choose that song too because it's one of those songs that is a is a classic petty song, but it's not considered kind of in the upper echelon of, of petty songs. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want like I think about Aerosmith doing Come Together, and every time I hear Aerosmith doing Come Together, I think they do a fantastic job with it. But every time I hear it, I think, oh yeah, this is that Beatles song Come Together that is iconic and is one of my favorite Beatles songs. Yeah. And yeah, this is really good what they're doing. Now let me go hear the original because that's better. Um, or that's iconic or that's what it is. That's that song. Yeah. I don't think change of heart has that same baggage associated with it. So I think you could take it as a, as a musician 
and kind of make it your own without feeling like everybody was just going to compare it to the original. Yeah. And, uh, and I also, you know, there's no, there's no guitar solo on that song, which I think is interesting. And I think that, uh, that you would, that Rich Robinson would have a real good opportunity to, to sort of give a, give a 90 second fade out and just, and just shred away as, uh, as the yeah. song, as the song comes to a conclusion. So I'd say, yeah, Black Crow's Change of Heart. When well, a band that also has a fantastic keyboard player. I mean, I love the, and I'm not too sure of his name. Great keyboard player, great piano player, could fill in an accent, like you said. I mean, the, the same way that Ben Mont does, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit yeah. more overtly sometimes on some of the Crow stuff, but would fit really well. I mean, talk about songs that would fit Chris Robinson's voice. Yes. Holy hell. I mean, I, I, I've said, yep. I'm pretty sure I've said this in the pod before, but I've always said that if I could sound like, if I could take anyone's voice, if a genie came and said, I'll give you anyone's voice. I mean, I wouldn't want Freddie Mercury's voice because that's just too much responsibility. That's too big. Chris <laughs> Robinson, that's the guy I want to be able to sing like. I adore that guy's voice. <laughs> With great responsibility comes great power or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is, right? Yeah, don't give me Freddie Mercury. Yeah, give me something that uh, that allows me to shred and just uh, just enjoy yeah. living living in it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Whose voice would you have? Just incidentally, as a little sidebar there. Who's, whose voice would you pick if you could have anyone's? Well... I don't know about whose voice I would have. I think that the voice that I, I think have appreciated the most is Paul McCartney's. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that he, and maybe this is kind of what happens when, when you outlive um, your, your songwriter slash competitor by 45 years, I think people are recognizing his versatility, his ability to, uh, to sing, uh, sing some of the Kansas city. Hey, 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 off of the early stuff. Yeah. to be able to do band on the run, to be able to do uh, jet to shred, but then be able to do bluebird on blackbird yeah. and uh, um, bluebird and blackbird. I, I meant to say blackbird originally, but of course, bluebird also a band on the run track, but um, you know, he, he, the versatility that guy has um, yeah. could sound so sweet uh, and then, and then shred. And, and, you know, I saw, I had a chance to see him in 2011 um, and uh, his voice in 2011 was still, top of his game i unfortunately the last 10 years um it happens when you turn 80 it turns out um yeah. your voice doesn't sound like you're 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 35 anymore or whatever um but even in 2011 he you know he was he was he sang 40 songs on that tour yeah uh that show was just an unbelievable hit parade and uh, I don't know if it was 40 songs, but it was definitely 30 something. It was one of those three hour shows that he was doing night in, night out, yeah. was able to to sing every song impeccably. And uh, so I would say if if I could get anywhere close to to what Paul McCartney sounds like, um, if, you know, we would we, we should all be so lucky. Yeah, and it, it's always frustrated me in the whole, like you said, you know, Lennon died and that cut his legacy off at that point when he was still basically at the peak, when McCartney mm -hmm. had the audacity to not get murdered you know and carry on making music why who gave him the right to do that at all you know and but yeah. he kept making brilliant records like memory almost full oh Again, yeah. another just massively underrated record mr bellamy's one of my favorite mccartney track anyway but i was just looked up here so i saw him in 2013 which probably was that same tour maybe that was the year too i can't remember if it was 11 or 13 but it was in that same time frame 39 songs i mean <laughs> and i remember like being in a stadium for live and let die was just that's something everyone just needs to see you need to go and see that song live but mm -hmm. the one for me that did it was mullican tire like singing along with mullican tire because it's mm -hmm. one of those songs that i think gets overlooked but it's just if you can sing along with that with the pipe band with the with the bagpipes mm -hmm. 
There was something in that. I just started bawling my eyes out. My wife's looking at me like, oh, we've been here for two and a half hours. What's up with you now? <laughs> you don't get it. This song means everything to me. <laughs> well, and that's certainly true in Britain, right? Mole of Kintyre, famously, um, no one knows that song in America. Yeah, I know. No one, I know. no one knows it. No, I mean, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I can't sing the melody to Mall of Kintyre, and and I I know Paul McCartney's solo stuff. I don't know what it sounds like. I've I've heard it maybe six times in my life, and that That's was funny. The, what was that the biggest selling single of all time in 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 the UK? It was I think point. it was McCartney's biggest solo solo yeah. single. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I can see why an American audience might not be attuned to its to its nuance, Pete. That's that's the problem. Sure. It's, too, it's too sophisticated. It's so basic. <laughs> yeah, that's it's what so it is. basic. That's what it is. <laughs> what are these bag pippies he's got going on there? I don't understand <laughs> your your crazy musical well, tastes. Well, bagpipes and pop music isn't really going to fly most places anyway. Right? So. Fair enough. Although Fair I guess enough. you know um, ACDC and um, oh, what song is it? What is it? I don't know. Long way to the top. There's well, it's not really a bagpipe, it's the keyboard, but they when they play it live, they bring the they bring the pipes oh, okay. out. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. There, Number there nine. What song do you most frequently recommend to people who don't know Tom's music? And I've realized this is a crap question because it depends on the person, but take your best run at it. <laughs> well, no, it's it, this isn't so bad. I, I actually didn't have a hard time with this one. This one for me would be Mary Jane's Last Dance. Okay. Um I think it, for me that that greasy guitar riff. Um, that, uh, that pettiness vocal delivery, she grew up in the Indiana town <laughs> and it just, you know, it just, it just is, is perfect. Just slots right in with, with what Petty's all about. It's just so catchy. Um, and, uh, I actually have played that song. That's one of my favorite songs to play live when, you know, when I used to be out in front of people and, and, yeah. uh, and I I've played that with my daughters and they've sung along to it and they've grown to know tom petty through that song as an introduction so That's for awesome. me you know that that is their entryway into what i hope is a is a lifetime um at least at least understanding and hopefully appreciation of uh of what uh what their dad finds special about music and so yeah. i'd say yeah mary jane's last dance that's very cool that's yeah. very very cool and i think it is another one of those that i'd I sometimes think it's basically a perfect song. Yes. I don't know what you mm -hmm. would add or subtract from it to make it any better. And it's timeless. Like it still sounds as good today as it did in 93 when it was released. Absolutely. It is timeless. And it's so, you know, I, I would, I would say in some regards that it, it's the easy answer to say, it's just so representative of, of Tom Petty. It's actually doesn't sound like much of anything that he has done. Like, I can't think uh, there's something about it that, as you say, is timeless, but also very original and very kind of distinct. It yeah. doesn't, it doesn't seem like it would fit in real well with wildflowers, even though it was recorded during the session where they just went off into a different studio and recorded this, this song with, with yeah. Stan Lynch, where he basically was like, okay, peace out. I just played the best uh, drum track. You're ever going to hear me play, uh, <laughs> drop the drumsticks and out the door. But, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's something just very original, even though it's distinctly petty, it's also distinctly distinct it's in his catalog. Thing. And I don't know why, I don't know how that, I don't even know if that makes sense, but it feels like it's its own thing. It doesn't, it doesn't fit on into the great wide open. It doesn't really seem like it would slot in into the wildflower sessions. It's just its own standalone, perfect little time capsule that, as you said, is, is, is timeless. 
there's so many of those songs that I've, I've found going through the catalog that I, I find myself saying, we haven't heard anything even vaguely like this from Tom yet, which again, once you get nine, 10 albums in, you think we should be really rinse and repeat. A lot of bands are just kind of falling back into what's familiar and what they know they do well. Mm-hmm. And Tom, it's not a huge departure. It's rock and roll. I mean, it's, it's pretty right. straightforward rock and roll, but it's still, like you said, there's something about it with yeah. that lazy groove and the way it feels and the way it moves. It's, is it a tempo thing? Because yeah. again, another one of those songs that if you played it any faster or slower, it wouldn't be quite right. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, again, just perfect little slice of music. It is nice the way it slots into that mid-tempo kind of. It's 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 not a rocker, but it's rock and roll. You know, it's it's greasy, but smooth. And I don't know, just, just yeah, it just slots in perfectly. He's somehow able to find that middle ground so so beautifully. And it falls into that thing that I've said lots on the pod too about Petty's ability to write a stunning opening line. She grew up in Indiana town, had a good-looking mama, never was around. I mean, hell writes that. Come on, man, really? Yeah. On a greatest hits album song, that's just a throwaway. Let's just, you know, tell me you're, it's a contractual obligation without telling me it's a contractual obligation. It's sort of like, well, we'll do something in the air and we'll get, and we've just got this Mary Jane's Last Dance thing. We'll throw that on there, I guess, and that'll be okay. Like, what? Give yeah. me a break. Come on. Yeah, in in some respects, you know, I would I would put that up in in one of his top ten best songs of all time. And as yeah. you say, the contractual obligation song <laughs> turns out is you know one of the best songs he ever he ever wrote and recorded. Just uh, just outstanding. You've probably heard me ask this question. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Is is there another artist that you can think of who has released a Greatest Hits album that's got a new track on it that actually belongs on the Greatest Hits? I, I have heard this question and I have found one. And, oh, okay. and I, I think that I think that I found one be, maybe because of the last podcast that we did on the Honest and Unmerciful podcast, which is uh Hall and Oates. Okay. And so if you actually go to uh, Hall & Oates, Rock & Soul Part 1 is their, is their uh, greatest hits. And there's a song on there called Adult Education, which actually I think made the top 10 when it was released. It may have even been a number one. I'm not sure, but it was definitely top 10. And that's actually one of my one of my favorite Hall & Oates tunes. Um, it's really catchy. It belongs on there. And so that would be one that okay. maybe people might not think about. And, you know, people don't necessarily think about Hall & Oates um in 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 the same sort of pantheon of, of greats and, and what have you but all that stuff aside if, if you're talking about greatest hits albums and a song that belongs on there that was a contractual obligation song <laughs> i i'd uh, i'd say adult education by uh by hollow notes so if you don't know that if you don't know that song it's actually pretty it's a pretty groovy it's a pretty groovy song um uh, worth checking out if you don't know it well i'm gonna be checking out as soon as we're done because <laughs> and again i haven't listened to the episode yet so i'm gonna listen to the episode first um, and then I'm going to go listen to that uh, listen to that song. Oh, okay. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to give you homework, but uh, but yeah. Homework. Oh yeah, it's, it's an absolute chore, Pete. An absolute chore listening to music. <laughs> oh, I have to listen to new music that I might like. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes though, it's like I don't want to listen to new music. It's like because then I'm going to go off down another bloody rabbit hole and obsess <laughs> about something else for like six weeks. Come on, man. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about the work that I haven't done this weekend that I should have been doing for work <laughs> because I knew that this was coming up. But I'm happy to be here. So it's awesome. It's a good problem to have. Okay, last question in the 10. Describe Tom Petty in three words. Another tough one. I didn't think too long about this because, you know, again, you can you can really overthink this. But my three words for Tom would be real human soul. And um, I, I got some, some words here to make sense of that. Um, I think, you know, music and art in general is best when it kind of allows the subject or listener to feel something. 
And in a perfect world, it allows the listener to kind of reflect on things, reflect on their lives, to see themselves in in the music, and to vibe in the in the parlance of the of the of the younger generation, to vibrate or to vibe or vibrate with it. I think there are very few songs that bring me to tears when I listen to them, but the album Wildflowers in itself has like four or five of those songs. Yeah. You know, and, and it's rare that you hear a song that 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 brings out that kind of emotion. And if you if you have that song, um, Yesterday by the Beatles was always that way. And, and a long, long time ago, that was one of those songs. But even the Beatles, I don't have I don't have more than a than, than two or three songs maybe that make me feel that way. But being able to hit those notes the way he does and notes, I don't mean literally, but I mean kind of like those, you know, that the, the, the right vibrations yeah. to take our breath away. And I remember an episode that you did early on. I can't remember which episode, but I think you were talking about going out jogging, um, and uh, and you had to. I think it was for I think it was for the the Tom Petty podcast where you had to. You heard a line and you had to stop and collect yourself because a line just kind of caught you in a right way, just out of the blue that just made you stop to where you had to catch your breath. Yeah. And how many artists have the ability to do that? How many artists have the ability to sort of take that emotion? and bring it to the surface. You know, movies can do that, but movies you're seeing all the senses. You've got the soundtrack of the movie, you've got the the visuals, you've got the the human there's a human on screen crying and it makes you want to cry and whatever. Yeah. But this is just one thing that you've got. You've got just music and yeah. just being able to do that and to be able to bring that well out into the open is just it's just special. So real human soul for me, I think that speaks for itself. I think it's funny too because the thing that 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 when I sort of thought of that question, I thought I kind of had an idea that I was going to get like authentic and on all these these different words people come up with. It surprised me until I really got into Petty and into the fandom that it's the connection with with him as much yeah. as it is the music, and that's you know because he, he come what you're talking about there is that connection with a songwriter mm. as much as the music, right? Because the connection is with another human being. And that's yeah. where Tom, I think, had, does have that special place with a lot of us fans is that we love the songs and I like rocking out to You Wreck Me and I love, you know, tapping my foot to Candy or your department song or those, they're just fun, mm-hmm. the, the fun songs, but the ones where you really connect to them, yeah, that's, that makes, that's the thing that makes it special, right? That's the thing that really draws us back and back and back and back. Mm-hmm. I think absolutely. He, he was a special human man and uh just that that ability i i couldn't say it better than what you just what you just did real real human soul and uh there you go 